Today we're going to talk about, but even if God does not, that's the title of the sermon. The question that I would like to ask us, both who are believers, I'm going to move this, uh, those of us who are believers, and even if you're not a believer, uh, some of the advice and some of the examples that uh, Daniel's three friends give us in their actions tell us how to handle crisis and persecution. All too often, we kind of live life on the spur of the moment, reactionary. It's kind of the way I play chess. I play chess in a way that I make a move, then you make a move, then I respond to that move and whatever. Great chess masters have their moves all done, moves at, you know, 32 moves ahead of time, and they know all the history and, and the names of all the different strategies. And most of us live our lives as reaction. This happens, we react, we make a decision. And that's probably why we find ourselves in great difficulty and problems. Because when we're in a crisis, that is when we make the dumbest decisions. And so what Daniel's three friends do is, is we're going to see that they have already made certain decisions before the crisis arises. Now, there are certain things that we have been instructed. For instance, Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to say when it comes to when people persecute you, that the spirit will give you what he wants you to say. And so mapping those types of things out aren't necessarily the thing to do, but to set your feet firm and what is your faith is important. And all too often we have our faith in the results not in God. We have our faith in circumstances and not in God. We look at God as the great Santa Claus in the sky, giving us what it is we want. And if he doesn't, then somehow we turn our backs on him. So I want us to take a look at what, as I said, these three young men did in great persecution. So in Daniel chapter three, it says this, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and its width six cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. It's interesting. The last chapter we just looked at that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he had a dream about a statue. The statue had a head of gold and then a body of silver and its uh, stomach and thighs were bronze. And then it went to iron, then went to a mixture of iron and clay. Now you would think that if Nebuchadnezzar took that dream seriously, if he was going to create a statute, he would have created a statute like that. But instead he creates, and most of us have you know, not, no real feeling for what a cubit is. So basically we'll say it's a, Approximately a 90 foot high, nine foot wide statue made of gold placed on a plane, uh, which no one is quite sure exactly where it may be, but it is thought that perhaps it was in the very same area where the tower of Babel was placed. And so he places this statue of gold, which kind of by implication to me says 
Nebuchadnezzar didn't take the dream seriously that it's all gold and that he's gold. And we're not sure whether the statue represents him or one of his gods, but he places this statue saying, and this is verse two, then Nebuchadnezzar, the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects and the governors and the counselors and the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king has set up. Then the satraps, prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king has set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So basically what we've got is we have all the leading people. If, so if this were a, a, a United States type of event, so because a lot of these words, we, we, don't, we, we don't use a satrap and, and whatever. It's kind of, if, if you will, there would be the assembly of all the state leaders and the county leaders and the Congress and the Supreme Court and the, and the Court of Appeals and the cabinet with all the secretary of treasurer, all, all these people who are basically responsible for running governments, both in the federal and the state and local level. That's what he's kind of done. Plus, on top of that, he's also invited the military leaders. So all the generals and uh, admirals and all those people will be assembled on this plane to dedicate this statute. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, to you the command is given, not the suggestion, to you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that the monument that you hear, the, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. So, Basically, it says there is this command that you are to fall down and worship when you hear this orchestra play. And this orchestra is going to be made up of wind instruments and string instruments. And it's going to be like a worship service, if you will. But you're expected to worship. And in part of that worship is you're expected to fall down and prostrate yourself. In essence, humble yourself before the statue. You are to, in essence, proclaim that you are worshiping this image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. So there is a death penalty. There's no appeal. There's not even a trial. You don't do it. You burn. And quite frankly, if you've even just burnt your fingers on a stove, you know it hurts. So it's, it's not a painless death. It's, it's one of those deaths that no one really looks forward to. So here's the threat. You don't bow down and worship. You die a really terrible death. Therefore, at the, that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the people's nations and men of every language fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king has set up. So everyone was doing it. And you can kind of understand because most people are happy to live their life. They don't want to die early. Even if they're promised 
heaven. No one wants to go there early. And so everybody's doing it. So everybody falls down and worships when they hear the worship music. Verse 8. For this reason at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. And they responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, tigron, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. They're right. They got it right. This is the command. This is the penalty. You made the decree. However, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely, and they give the Babylonian name, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I like to call them as Hananiah, Mishael, or Mishael, and... Azariah, those three men, these men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Now it's true. We're going to see that that allegation is true. The thing that I find interesting is how do they know? Because they're supposed to be falling down and worshiping the king, the, the statute. Which means that's what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be falling down in worship. You're not supposed to be going, what's going on with everybody else? But isn't that kind of how worship goes in our churches today? Rather than worrying about worshiping yourself, you wonder who is or is not worshiping. Or we Baptists like to sit on our hands when it comes to worship. And so if somebody raises their hand, oh, maybe they speak. In, you know, we're all worried about how everybody else worships. Rather than just worshiping and let God worry about those who are worshiping him incorrectly or not at all. But I find it interesting. They know, and I suspect it's because they're jealous because these three men, especially, and the Jews in particular, have been being rising in authority and power. So how better to get rid of your enemy is to accuse them of something that's actually true, but that you should know nothing about. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Now, I can get this, you know. Nebuchadnezzar, for his own purposes, built this 90 foot by 9 foot wide golden statue. As king, he expects everybody to honor his commands, not his suggestions. And if you don't, it's going to be an affront to his power. And after all, Nebuchadnezzar was a type of ruler. When he said something, it was to be done. So he's really angry. And Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, to a certain extent, this is kind of a dumb question. Because they're Jews. What is one of the, the first two commands of the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You find that in Exodus chapter 20. And you shall not make any graven images. Well, they didn't make it. But you shall not bow down and worship them. 
So being Jews, they're going, those are the, we don't have to even know much about the law. The first two, we kind of figure out those are violations, so we're not going to do it. And the Jews, if they're going to be following God, will not violate his commands, whether the king makes a command or not. Now, if you are ready at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipes, and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Now, to be fair to Nebuchadnezzar, he's being fair. He's not simply just taking the words of the Chaldeans who don't like the Jews. So he's going, I'm going to give you a chance. If you have the opportunity, I'm going to give you an opportunity to bow down and worship when you hear the music. And after you hear the music, you can bow down and worship and everything will be fine. But if you don't, you're going to die. And he makes a statement because he thinks he's in control. And because of his experiences with his gods, what God can deliver you out of my hands? Now, if you were a reactionary, you would say, we're in big trouble. There's a furnace. We're going to die. What we should do? And we can, as many people who don't understand Christians and not wanting to deny the Lord, say, well, just lie. Just bow down. You can, you can pretend. No. They've determined that they're not going to lie because their fealty to God is more important than their own lives. You also see in the next response that they don't go to God in prayer. They don't say, oh God, what, what should we do? Because they've already determined that they're going to follow God's commands. God commanded that you shall have no other gods before him and that you'll not worship against a graven image. So there's no need for a prayer because they know what God's will is already. So the next thing we would generally do is, okay, God, get me out of this problem. Make it rain so it puts out the fire. Or give Nebuchadnezzar a stroke so everybody's worried about him and not about us. Or whatever, God, just do something. But notice their response. Shadrach, Hananiah. Meshach. Mishael. And Abednego, Azariah replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. We don't have to offer up a defense. And we're not going to. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. Their response is, you just said, what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Our God can our God is able to deliver us from your hands. We don't know exactly how he can do it, but we know he will do it. We trust him in his power and his authority. And you think you have the final word, but remember God is sovereign over even you 
and we will not do this. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They have already made it a predetermined decision. They're not reacting to the situation. They have determined that no matter what the cost, they are going to follow God and that their faith in God is not based on what he does, but who he is. And I think as believers, that is something that we need to learn and understand. All too often, we have faith in God when something great happens and we praise God when something great happens and he delivers us from these fiery trials and tribulations. But three, three young men says, even if he doesn't deliver us, we still trust who he is and we will not worship. In this world today, we have our friends and co-workers, people of power and influence, that the world wants us to do certain things their way, which violate the commands of God. And there are some times when it seems that God is just far away. But we need to make a determination before we face the furnace what our response is going to be just as they have. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath and his facial expression altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not only was he angry, he let them know it by his face. He had facial expressions and you could probably see he didn't have to communicate his anger. You could see it on his face. And he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. So he turned up the temperature to the max. And he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. So they got tied up with a lot of more kindling material because not only were they being thrown in, they'd be thrown with all their clothes, which is going to be quickly ignited, which means they're going to be a torch very quickly. And it's so hot. It says verse 22, for this reason, because the commands King's command was urgent and the furnace had not been, had been made extremely hot. The flames of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Miracle number one. God protected them in the execution. But the executioners died by the very fire that they were throwing in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So God preserved them in the fire to be put into the fire. All tied up. So you would think that would be the end of the story. 
Verse 24. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and stood up in haste. And he said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? Now, for, first off, it's a, that's an interesting question because he goes, Wasn't it three people we th- put in the fire? Well, since the fire was so hot, they should be ash by now. So the whole question that there's anybody in there should be an amazing question. But he goes, wait a minute. We threw three people in there. And they replied to the king, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men loose and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So. Regardless of how many people are in there, it would be pretty amazing to see people who are tied up, thrown into a furnace of fire, really hot, walking around. The amazing thing that that happened, but it's even more astonishing because we threw three in and now there are four. Notice that they are still not out of the fire. They're walking around with another. King Nebuchadnezzar says that this fourth person looks like a son of the gods. Now there is debate, and I'm not going to make it any clearer today. There is a debate that some say that this is a theophany, that this is a pre-incarnate presence of Jesus. And that may be, or it may be that it's an angel. I'm not necessarily going to take the word of King Nebuchadnezzar, who doesn't know who God is, who the person there is, but I know that fourth person is different than the other three. So it may be Jesus himself, or it may be an angel. But here's the truth. God sent someone to them to walk with them in the fire. And there may come a time when we are not literally, but figuratively in the fire of persecution. And God may not say, come out. But he certainly will walk with us in the fire. And that is a promise that we should understand Now, I want you to look at another scripture reference. You won't find it necessarily in the thing. It comes from Job. Job had a really bad day. He lost all his property, lost all of his children, got stricken with these terrible diseases. I find it interesting because even his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? My kind of thought, now she's not my wife, so it's easy for me to say because she's not my wife. But I'm going, okay, God, you took all the children, took all the property. Even my wife, couldn't you take it my wife because she's not a help to me. She's saying, just curse God and die. But notice in all of those miseries, What Job says, though he slay me, though he takes my life, I will hope in him. 
Not I will hope in my deliverance. Not that I hope in my prosperity in the future. Not that everything will turn out okay. My hope is in him. Another is in Isaiah chapter 43. It says, but now thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, he, and he who formed you, O Israel. So God is talking to his people, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel and Jacob. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you, and I have called you by name, and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flames burn you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, this is a promise to Israel, his people. But God has made a similar promise to us because he has redeemed us. We are his people, the people that he loves. So do not fear. Going back to Daniel. Says this. I see four men loose and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth was like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. And he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the most high God, and come here. Notice the king of kings and lord of lords didn't issue the command. He simply walked with them through the fire during the entire time that Nebuchadnezzar ordered the fire to be done. And then when Nebuchadnezzar called them out, they came out. God will walk with us in the fire for the entire length of the time that is necessary. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. So they followed the command again. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. They became a tourist attraction, if you will. Everybody came and looked and they said, wait a minute. There's been absolutely no effect. Their, their clothes have not been damaged. Their hair hasn't been singed. And if you've ever gone to the beach and had a fire, or if you've been camping and you had a campfire, it always seems that where you sit or stand is where the smoke comes. And after you've been at the beach or camping for a while, when you leave you smell like smoke. It has an impact, an effect on your clothing and you, but not so with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fire had no impact on them. That is how thoroughly effective God's walk 
with them in the fire was. No impact. And it wasn't something just noticed by the king. It was noticed by all the rulers, which I'm suspecting going to be, is they go, you know, when I was in Babylon and I was there participating in the dedication of the statue, and there were these three guys who were Jews, they wouldn't bow down and they wouldn't worship and given the opportunity to escape, they refused. And so they got thrown into the fire and it was so hot. A bunch of guys died except them and three, they were walking around and there was a fourth guy. And when they came out, I, I saw it, it had no impact. I bet they were great witnesses. How sad that when we have been redeemed and seen how God has changed us and how the fires of this world should have no impact. Why we aren't better and greater witnesses to that impact. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who were put in, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any God except their own God. King Nebuchadnezzar got it. And he says, blessed are they. I said, what God could deliver you out of my hands and guess what their God could. And not only do I acknowledge that, I acknowledge to his, therefore I make a decree that any people, nation or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no God who is able to deliver in this way. Even a broken clock can be right twice a day. Nebuchadnezzar still worships a bunch of gods, but he understands the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is able to do what he thought no one could do, deliver out of his hands. And there may come a time when we experience things that we think no one can help deliver us, but there is a God who can and is able. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. God turned a certain death sentence into a promotion. It's amazing what God can do even in a land that doesn't worship him. Even among leaders of people who think they're in control. When up until now, we've clearly seen that it was God who delivered his people into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And it is his, and it is God who can save his people out of the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. But there's one last scripture that's not found in Daniel. I've shared it before and I want to continue to share it. 
Because sometimes people will just say, well, if you just have enough faith, good things will happen. If you just whatever. And therefore, we have this kind of idea that the good results will depend upon how much faith I have. And if I don't have enough faith, then there will be bad circumstances. No. That's not the case. I have a good friend who's been praying for my wife. And I mentioned to him, because he kept recruiting a whole lot of people uh, to pray for her. And I had mentioned that his ministry was kind of recruiting people to pray. And his kind of response was, well, I'm not too sure that I'm really righteous enough for God to hear me. So if I get enough other people, maybe God will hear one of them. And my response to him was, James tells us that Elijah was a man just like us who had a nature like ours. And he prayed because it does says an effective prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. And that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you are righteous. So your prayers are heard. And his response was, okay, pastor. And that's the truth. If you are a believer and follower of Jesus, you're righteous. It's not a matter of how much faith you have that God does some things. So my kind of response has always been, God is able and God has the power. But what way he exercises that which way brings him more glory? So if healing a person or delivering them through the fire gives him more glory, he'll do that. If your suffering and your death brings him more glory, then he'll do that. Because it's not about your faith, but it's about the glory of God. And that's why I want to bring this final verse that again, I'll probably say again, because I want you to understand Get your eyes off of you and whether you have enough faith or whatever, but this. The honor roll of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 32, says this. And what more shall I say for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Notice these guys were mentioned who conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, not named but mentioned, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty men in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. All of us want to say, sign me up. How great would it be to be Gideon, who can conquer armies with a few guys? How great would it be David, who's a little boy who becomes king and is a heart, has a heart after God? How great would it be to be with Solomon, to be, have the wisdom of Solomon? How great would it be to be Daniel, all these things? We have all these aspirations that we want God to, so that we might be examples to the world of mighty men and women of God. And others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others 
experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, and they were about, they were, went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. From the outside, everybody say, God forsake them. No. God did not forsake them. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, and all of these having gained approval through their faith. Not approval by the world, but approval by God. Did not receive what was promised because God was provided something better for us. Notice they went through things so we would have it better. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect or complete. When we are young people, we have goals. And when we get older, if we don't have goals, we're told by people we ought to have goals. And all those goals usually are how to get richer, how to be more powerful, how to be more influential, and how to get things done. And we have all these goals. Let me suggest a goal for me and for you. It's found in verse 38. Men and or women whom the world was not worthy. What about having a goal for us to being a person who this world is not worthy of? That's an awesome goal. Jesus was such a person. And I want to draw your attention to him because God had the power and the ability to release Jesus from the cross. But Jesus even had the authority to come down. But in his prayer, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And we need to have the attitude, not what the results are, not about, well, do I have enough faith? But the answer is, Your will be done that you might receive glory far more than we could ever expect. So in the case of these three men that the world knows as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that I remind us, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, God brought glory to himself by keeping them untouched in the furnace. But there have been other saints who have died at the stake, burned to death. They had no less faith in those men, no less commitment to honor God. But God determined that it brought him more glory to allow them to suffer and die. So the answer to our quest is not to have faith in God because he is able, because he is, but that he is our hope because who he is. And just as these three men said, he's able to deliver, but even if he does not, 
we will still not worship anyone else but our God. And God, whether you choose to heal me or not heal me, whether you choose to get me out of this persecution or don't, I will serve you only. Because I know who you are. And my hope is not in the circumstances. My hope is only always in you. Even if he does not deliver, still I will not worship another God. I choose to be a person this world is not worthy of. And all God's people said,